Thank you, Karen. Just so you'll know, if you, if you haven't seen, Corey's running uh, today for World Vision, and uh, he, he's running to, to support that cause, and, and uh, that, that's, that's why we mentioned that, and that's what he's running for. Stand with me, if you will, for the reading of God's Word. Be reading out of Matthew chapter 9, uh, beginning in verse 35. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Lord, bless your word. Multiply it in our hearts. Help us, Lord. Uh, to have the boldness to share the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. How, how do you see other people? When you look at other people, how do you see them? We're going to do a little bit of exercise. We're going to put some people up here, and I want you to tell me how, when you see these people, how, how do you see them? Go ahead and show the first one, Merle. How do you see this guy, okay? Uh, do you see this guy as a coach that just got a bad call, a good guy? What, what about this guy? How, how do you see that? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you feel sorry for him. How, how do you see people? Let, let's go ahead. and. You, how do you see people when you see them? I, I mean, you can keep flipping through those, Merle. How do you see people? Do, do, do you see them as enemies? Do you see them as people that you can't approach? When you see different kinds of people and people in different uh, dress and, and people with tattoos and, and people in, in different arenas of life, how do you see them? How we see people can predetermine our response to them. As a matter of fact, I would say almost every time, how you see somebody, how you perceive them will have an effect on how you approach them, how you, how you talk to them, whether you talk to them at all. So sometimes we, see, we make an internal judgment that we cannot connect with someone, or they will have no interest in the things that we have interest in, or, or they, they will have no interest in the things of God. And we make these internal judgments based on surface things. Can, can we admit, I'll admit it, nobody else has to admit it, but I'll admit it, we judge books by their cover, Right? And we see people and we make determinations of their character and their spiritual state and their spiritual hunger oftentimes just by the way they look on the outside. Jesus saw people differently. Amen? And it changed how Jesus responded to people. In, in the book, Just Walk Across the Room, Hybels writes this, Jesus had an uncanny ability to look past the obvious flaws in people's lives and envision who they could become if the power of God were released in their lives. 
Story after story, you see Jesus and, and you see somebody that, that maybe we would look at and say, you know, there's really not much potential there or there's a lot of flaws there or there's a lot of sin there or there's, there's a lot not to desire there. Jesus would see them and respond to them completely different than the religious people did. I'm going to say something. I don't want to be offensive about this, but I think we need to recognize this. When we read the biblical narratives, most of the time we fit in more closely with the religious people than the sinful people. Right? Can we be honest enough to put ourselves and the biblical narrative and the biblical stories and recognize that most of the time when Jesus was connecting with people, it wasn't the sinful people we're sitting with, but it was the Pharisees standing over here saying, how could Jesus spend time with them? I'm just going to say, folks, we've got a problem. We judge people by their cover. And we have a Savior that didn't judge people by their cover. And aren't you thankful that he didn't judge you? He didn't judge me. I'm glad that that Jesus could look at me, the Holy Spirit could look at me as a wayward teenager or a wayward 20-something, as someone that wanted to do things their own way, and he could see something different within me than maybe other folks could. Jesus saw people differently. And in the biblical narratives, if we really pay attention, he's constantly seeing people that if we were honest, we would say there's not much potential there. But Jesus saw something else. You know, whether you're talking about uh, Nicodemus, who we would say, oh, it's this religious hypocrite, this guy that's got to have everything his own way, or, or we see this, this lady caught in adultery, or, or we talk about a woman who at a well that's been divorced six times, or we see a rotten tax collector like Matthew, or we see this humble fisherman like Peter. Time after time, Jesus is seeing something different than the outside shows. I'm going to read a story to you. I just want you to listen to this. It's, it's, it's the story of Zacchaeus. You know, we could probably just sing the little song together. That'd be funner, right? You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. So he climbed up in a... <laughs> you, you guys are good Sunday school people. Just listen to this story. Jesus entered into Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector collector in the region. In other words, the one they hated the most. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest. Catch that language. Hey, Zacchaeus, I've got something for you. No? Zacchaeus, I must be a guest in your home today. 
Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Can we stop there? This is painful for me. Where are you in the story? Honestly, I mean, before we go in for it, just think about this. Think about what's going on. Here's Jesus, you know, and he's spending time with this rotten tax collector that's stolen from you, that's stolen from your family. He's, he's spending time with the fraudulent business owner that's taken money from your family. Can we be honest enough to say that Jesus sees something different in this guy than probably we would? Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus, and anybody watch the Captain Obvious ads? I love Captain Obvious. Room temperature is the temperature of a room, okay? That's Captain Obvious. I'm going to give you a Captain Obvious point today. Jesus saw Zacchaeus differently. When he saw Zacchaeus, Jesus wasn't saying, there is a sinner, a notorious fraudulent business guy. Here's somebody that steals from people. Here's a turncoat, a traitor, somebody that's going, to, that, that's going to associate himself with Romans because it makes things easier for him. This is a rotten scumbag. Can I say scumbag? Is that okay? Jesus saw something different in Zacchaeus. Jesus saw value in Zacchaeus. When when Jesus looked up in that tree, he didn't see a target. He he didn't see his next evangelistic conquest. Jesus didn't see somebody that needed the gospel, although he did. I believe Jesus saw someone that in God's eyes and with God working within him possessed this tremendous potential. That's why Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, come down. I have something for you. Zacchaeus, I've got something I've got to tell you. Come on down. Zacchaeus, you need to spend some time with me. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I've, I've got to go to your house today. I've got to tell you, as I've been looking at this passage this week and thinking about it, I can't get past that idea. Jesus didn't say, Zacchaeus, come down. You have to spend time with me today. This is the king of the universe. This is creator God. This is perfect Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, Zacchaeus, man, you really need some quality time with me. 
Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I've got to go to your house today. I've got to spend some time with you. I've got to tell you, I just keep thinking about that because that's how Jesus is with us. I mean, this isn't the point today, but, but I want you to know in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the Holy Spirit, in the eyes of the Godhead, you are important, you are valuable today. And it's not just that God wants you to spend time with Him, but He wants to spend time with you. Right? Shouldn't that blow our minds just a little bit? That God sees a value in us that's so extreme that it's not that we just need to spend time with him, but he needs to spend time with us. I heard a preacher say this not too long ago. And and, and it's really resonated with me. And I may have shared it here. I think it's true. You know, if you're a parent, you will always love your kids more than they love you. Right? Think about your parents. Think about your kids. You'll always love your kids more than they love you. I want you to know that you will, God will always love you more and see more value in him than you do in him. It's an amazing concept. i, I got to get back to my sermon, though. I won't get past it. What could happen if we saw the God-sourced potential in others. What would happen in your relationships if, if somehow you could, you could have an eye transplant and you have Jesus' eyes and you begin to, to see like he sees things? I always, John 3, 3, I believe it's John 3, 3, Jesus says you must be born again. And it's all in this dialogue with Nicodemus and, and Nicodemus is saying, how can you see the kingdom of God? That's the context of this. Jesus isn't talking necessarily about salvation. He's talking about being able to see the kingdom. And so when we think about being born again, typically we think about somebody getting saved, right? Somebody's saved, they're born again. I believe there's some religious people that need to be born again and see with fresh eyes and see with the eyes of Jesus. The eyes that see the potential of people. We live in a negative, negative age. Right? Can't we be people that maybe see something other than negative? What's our current circumstance typically in the church? And These are quotes from just walk across the room and I, and I, I, but I think they're correct it's what I've historically seen and it's what I experience a longer, the longer a person attends church the fewer evangelistic discussions they engage with and with family members and friends think about it the, the longer we're saved the less evangelistic we become. And I've found this to be true in the church. I don't understand why that is. You know, it should, shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't it be that as we understand the value of God and as we grow in our faith and as we begin to really see who God is, that, that we should be sharing this more? Why is it it works the other way? 
And think about it. I mean, in, in your life, is, is, isn't this true? That there's less evangelistic conversations you have with folks? Matter of fact, in the, in the church, Hybels calls it horse trading with God. <laughs> Anybody ever horse trade with God? If you read the book, you understand what I, that, that you make trades with God. You say, God, I will do 13 Bible studies a week. I will clean the carpet at the church. I will pay 12% tithe instead of 10% if you just don't make me share my faith. <laughs> Folks, that's why in the church, and I'm just going to be real blunt here, oftentimes in churches, and I'm making sure I don't fall off the step, that'd be funny, but... We create activities to keep ourselves so busy that we cannot do the business of our Father. Because Bible study, while essential and necessary, is a lot easier than sharing the gospel with someone who's lost. Being with church people is a lot easier on our spiritual constitution than being around people With different views. He gives the worst case scenario. Self-proclaimed followers of Jesus developing an aversion to non-believers going to all lengths to avoid the exact people Jesus came to redeem. This week I was at um, our mama group, which is the I just like saying mama. It's the Marysville Association of Ministers, of whatever, Marys and, uh, you know, some Marys and ministers, and if it's mama, the youth group's better. Theirs is, yo mama. <laughs> I want to be a youth pastor so I can be a part of yo mama. <laughs> but uh, the Methodist pastor, shared a doctorate report or a paper he'd written. He got his dissertation, and he shared on Galatians, Ephesians, which helped me, Josh, Ephesians, spiritual warfare, Ephesians 5.22. I think it's Ephesians 5.22 or 5.12. How, what if we took that seriously in church? And, and he, he, the, the premise is that, that, you know, we're not fighting fleshly blood. We're fighting spiritual battles. And, and I think, you know, it kind of resonated with me. And I'm going to preach a series on this, I believe. I, I think typically when you see somebody and they have a contrary spiritual slant than you, don't you think of that person kind of as the person with the contrary spiritual slant? And I think the scripture invites us to say, to see, it's not flesh and blood that we're fighting against, but it's a spiritual reality beyond. And I think that scripture is an invitation to see people who may be completely antagonistic to the gospel in a different light. It's not the flesh and blood that's the enemy. It's Satan that's the enemy. You know, we have an enemy of our soul. We have an enemy of our families. We have an enemy. We have a spiritual enemy. Satan is real. As real as Jesus is, as real as we believe in, in God the Father, we have a spiritual enemy known as Satan. And there are demons and spirits that oppress us. 
Jesus didn't have an aversion to non-believers. Jesus didn't go to all lengths to avoid people who did not believe like he believed. Jesus did not avoid sinners. And if we're going to be, simply put, ordinary people following Jesus, we have to see people differently. To respond differently. I love this quote from the book. I think this is how it should be. You allow people's fobles, fobbles and failings and faults to fall away instead of seeing them in their potential spirit-infused state. You see filthy mouth, party-loving, woman-chasing Joe, and not Joe Case, <laughs> and you say, what would Joe even a guy like Joe be like if God ruled and reigned in his heart. Joe would be incredible if Christ invaded his world. You start dreaming of that day. In fact, you begin picturing him in his redeemed state. You love him. Your love for him grows as you move towards him, engaging in the good, the bad, and the ugly of his life. You find yourself craving opportunities to be around people just like him, people who are in one prayer from becoming your eternal brothers and sisters. Do you realize your future board members, Sunday school teachers, pastors, missionaries aren't in this building today, but they're one prayer away, they're one conversation away, that they're one step away from becoming your eternal brother and sister. And it may just take one simple walk across the room. So, what do we do? Some practical things. He gives, he calls it three Ds. Uh, the, the first thing we do is we develop friendships. Now, how do we do this? Well, I have three questions that, that maybe you can ask yourself and, and to, to kind of develop that, that group of people that maybe God's placed in your path. Who has God placed in close proximity to you? Who, who are your neighbors? Do you know them? Your, your co-workers, classmates, childhood friends. <laughs> you know, Facebook's an awesome thing. You can, you can reconnect with childhood friends. And, and you know, it, it's just possible that there may be a childhood friend that, that God's wanting you to begin a spiritual dialogue with. What about family? Family's hard, isn't it? Amen? Family's hard. Opportunity have to be praying for, to be seen, to be loving. What interests do you share with others? That's what I like about our quilters. <laughs> our quilters, you know, there, there's unbelievers that come that quilt with our ladies. They have intentionally targeted them and, well, not targeted them with like needles and stuff, but you know, poking them. But, but, but they're connecting and they're using this shared interest. I mean, what, do, do you run? Do you bike? In, in Heibel's book, he talks about a, a neighborhood kickball. Did, has anybody read the book for this week? He talks about a neighborhood kickball thing. Every Sunday night, they had a big neighborhood kickball, and it started with a neighbor saying, I think I can, I can get together a better kickball team than you. 
So every night they're out playing kickball and connecting, and, and people are coming to faith because they're beginning to make connections. Chess players, books, <laughs> uh, what clubs, what, what places, what interests can you connect with other people? And, and what opportunities is God giving you? Well, what if we saw interpersonal interactions as opportunities? And I know some of you are thinking, oh no, pastor's going to expect that we start sharing the gospel every time we pay for gas at the gas station. You know, we like write it on the, on the, the bill when we give it back. Or... <laughs> so Terry's going to be doing that. The rest of us are going to be thinking some other ways. What, what if we just began this and every time when you, and this is hard at times, right? Particularly, I went to a restaurant yesterday, and I'm not going to say what restaurant, and it was, it was the worst thing I've ever seen. You know, I'm giving my order, and the girl's name looking at me, and, and finally I said, hello? Or, you know, I, 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 I wasn't trying to be a, I just couldn't tell if she was real, and she was. She was doing like this. And, and so then a, a kid wanted some barbecue sauce, and she gave the kid the barbecue sauce like this over her shoulder. Yeah. That's hard, right? Uh, um, that's hard to say. God bless you. Can I share the gospel with you right now? So we, we have those encounters. But, but, but even in that circumstance, I'm glad I have a sweet wife. Say thank you, Pastor, you have a sweet wife. I have a sweet wife that says, well, Paul, you know, maybe... See, Terry has a knack for seeing the value in people, even when sometimes I don't. I'm just being transparent. What if we began to see every person on the other end of a conversation with us as eternally valuable and significant? So valuable and so significant, in fact, that Jesus would come and die just for them. And this isn't just an ordinary encounter, but that God has given you an opportunity. See, I think it would change our conversations. I think it would change how, how we talk with people. The second thing he says is discover stories. And there's a couple cautions I would give here. Number one, I would say listen for understanding. Now, it seems like I've talked about listening a lot. And I don't know why that is. Maybe God's trying to teach me something. But listening is essential. Really listening. Terry's family... And it's her mom's family are always fun. You'd go over there, and they don't get together much anymore. But it was the only family where conversations meant that everyone was talking. I mean, it was crazy. You ever been to one of those family reunions where everybody's talking at the same time and nobody's listening? And you're thinking, man, this is a lot of noise. <laughs> kind of sound like Pentecost, you know, to be honest. Everybody's just talking and nobody's listening. You know, I think we have a bad habit. Of, of not really listening to people. I saw this on Instagram. And, you know, anything on Instagram is good. <laughs> uh, the biggest communication problem is we do not listen to understand. We listen to reply. That as people are talking, most of the time, we're 
thinking, okay, what do I need to say in response? And I think when we want to really discover stories, we've got to, we've got to mature past that and listen to really find understanding. And then the second thing is seek understanding before judgment. Say that with me. Seek understanding before judgment. If we really begin this process of developing friendships and discovering stories, we're going to hear some things that probably we're not going to agree with, right? <laughs> and the worst thing that you can do is begin to judge before you're understanding even what that person's going through, what life experiences they've had. Do you realize... That, that if you've been brought up in the church and you had godly parents and you've lived a pretty pure life and stayed pretty close to God, and all, you know, even in my farthest wonderings, I was in church every week. It was never a question, well, you know, am I going to abandon God? The, the only question I ever had is when I'm going to come back to God. But you know, when you really encounter some people, you'll find that they had parents that drove them from God. You had parents that didn't give a hoot about them. You'll find situations where God to shine through has it's taken a miracle. So seek understanding before judgment. Judgment cannot be our default setting. Let's, uh, let's, let's say I'm a judgeaholic, and uh, no, I'm not. Yeah, Jesus talks a lot about judgment, doesn't he? Maybe we need to take that a little bit more serious. Uh, as a pastor, you know, I, I've learned that I'll encounter people that, that have a different perspective. I leave that to God to judge. Now, I, I give my opinion. But, but I leave a lot of things to God to judge because ultimately God is the judge of them and me. And then discern appropriate next steps is the third D. We believe when God has given us an opportunity and, and he's allowed, because we believe this is all divinely ordained, right? That God is at work, that, that God works all things for, his, for our good and his glory, that, that God has an overarching plan, that God's trying to accomplish something, that, that God has a vision for his kingdom breaking in in this community, in our families, in our neighborhoods. We believe that, right? And so when we have these encounters, we, we believe that we have a Heavenly Father that has a bigger vision of what's going on and what He wants to see accomplished. And He's wanting to use us. Be satisfied with being a resource provider. And I, I love this, this ideal of a resource provider because this kind of takes the pressure off of always leading people across the line. That you're not evangelistic unless somehow you're leading someone in the sinner's prayer. You're taking them through the ABCs of salvation. That's the only time you're being evangelistic. The only time that I, we're an evangelist is if we can get somebody kneeling at an altar and praying with them. He's inviting us, Hybels is inviting us to see something bigger. He says resource providers 
are servant-minded people who make a habit of uncovering the needs around them and then meeting them as naturally and effectively as possible. In other words, maybe at that moment in this person's life, they are ready to make a commitment to Christ and you you discern through their story, through what they're saying, through your understanding, that this is the time. And God gives you the privilege of being that person that prays with them and them finding salvation. That's awesome. You'll never experience anything better. Or, or maybe it's the other end of the spectrum, and this person ha has been in a church where they were mistreated, where where. where all joy was gone, and they just need to meet a Christian that can laugh and love them right where they are. Or anywhere along the spectrum. Maybe it's someone that's, that's never heard anything. And we've got a, I've got to tell you, we've got a major issue in the church today. And you know what it is? The churches that are reaching people are reaching people who were de-churched or unchurched mainly. You know who's not being reached? Pagan people. You, you find very few churches that are reaching people that, that come from no understanding of the gospel. Churches that are moving are meet, reaching de-churched, unchurched, dissatisfied church people. And so I believe that churches that begin to understand this missional ideal of Jesus, that, that Jesus saw people in a holistic way, and he saw them with physical needs and spiritual needs, and understood that for him to effectively reach spiritual needs, he had to meet physical needs. And so Jesus healed, and he fed, because he saw that, that these people had to have an understanding that God wanted to save them completely. And so the church that begins to understand this ideal that, that we serve a God who is wanting to reach into our culture and redeem it holistically will begin to make inroads, not only with de-churched, unchurched, which we want to do, but people who've never had any faith experience in their life. Or maybe even someone from a different faith tradition. Our, our work and witness, many of our work and witness people went over to the work and witness retreat. And, and the speaker there, I can't remember who it was, Karen. But, but he's, he made mention of the fact that ISIS is one of the best things that's ever happened to the Christian church. Because ISIS is making it possible to reach Muslim people. <laughs> Because they're seeing the ugliness of ISIS and somehow the gospel of love, the grace of Jesus Christ is beginning to look pretty appealing. You know, I, I don't know. You know I, there's a lot of doom and gloom people out there. There is. And I don't know what's going to happen to the church in 20 years, 30 years. I don't know what's going to happen to this church. I don't. But I believe God's desire is not for us to die or fade away. But God's desire is for us to come alive, begin to see people like Jesus, 
come to act, begin to act like Jesus? And I believe it's possible. I believe revival is possible. But it won't happen as long as we just keep it doing the same things and expect different results. We're going to have to see people differently. We're going to have to have real conversations. Non-judgmental conversations. We're going to have to meet needs without any strings. We're just going to have to love people just where they are. You know, story after story. Stand with me. I'm, I'm done. Say, oh, Pastor, you were done 20 minutes ago. That's when I stopped listening. Read the Gospels. Read, read Jesus and what Jesus did. And I'll get up here because I'm, I'm too short to be on the floor when you all are standing. <laughs> time and time again, Jesus meets a need without any strings attached. Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'll heal you, but you've got to come to faith first. Jesus just heals there, there's one story, and, and, and you know, it just, it just popped in my mind as I said that. There's one story where, where it's kind of funny. There's ten lepers. Is it lepers or blind men? Lepers. lepers. Ten lepers are healed. How many come back? One. one. <laughs> you think Jesus was surprised? No. I don't think he was. I think Jesus understood that, that sometimes, folks, we're going to love people and we're going to give out and they're going to burn us. And we're going to be just like Jesus. We're going to say, not my will, but your will. But the one. The one. Lord, help us to see people differently. I'm challenged by this. It's so easy just to... Um, to see people in their failure, in their sin, in their neglect, and not see them like you see them. But then I stop and I remember that you saw me differently. And while I was yet a sinner, you saw me as something that could be redeemed and used. Lord, give us fresh eyes. Help us even now to be born again, to see the kingdom of God, to, to see our God at work and, and, and respond and go and serve and give and love. Help us to love one another and to, and to love those that we encounter. And Lord, just help us to be faithful to your call wherever we find ourselves this week. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless.